back. All-American this time. All-American this time. Uh, an All-American downfall, which is not his fault. No. And you know what's weird? Back-to-back episodes on I didn't even think about it. We're back at the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Quinn, with my other host, Dom Datola. And we're talking football, man. Yeah, a little bit of college and pro football action on this one. Well, this yeah. guy's a little bit of both, but he was a... Uh, should have been better. How about that? Not him. Should have been. We're no, say that God. So many the times. factory of sadness robbed this man of his football soul. Exactly. <laughs> so we're talking... Tim Couch. Tim Couch. Um, just want to point this out is why the draft really sucks. <laughs> and I'm just going to say this as far as this is concerned. I don't think there's any other position on a football field that is most affected by what team you go to and what organization that you go to than the quarterback position. Wow, that's yeah, that's and pretty And I will get into this draft, make a comparison and also discuss because I watched this guy a lot. He played in the same division as the Steelers and how good he was and how robbed this poor man was of football glory. Yeah. Through and, no fault of his own. And how much he got beat up with his horrible offense. You're watching it like that Simpsons where Homer's dressed as crusty and beating the shit out of that Hamburglar and you're like, stop, stop, he's already dead. But that's, Only you're not man. laughing at it. You're like... I hope this man's okay. Yeah, Jesus. But uh, Tim Couch, born July 31st, 1977 in Hyden, Kentucky. Uh, grew up like most people in that state. Uh, basketball star. I yeah. did not know about this. Uh, well, junior year in high school, 36 points a game. Dual athletes, man. It's so important that... and. We got away from it in the 2000s, but man, is it important for these guys to develop these other skills. He scored over 3,000 points as I a know. high school uh, basketball player. Um, the interesting thing was, though, um, I don't know if it was his high. I mean, he's 6'4", 220. Yep. So, I mean, he's a bigger dude. Maybe if he was 6'6", six, 6'8", six, six, he'd have gone into basketball. But uh, the football field is where you could really see the type of player that he was. I mean, he had records for most uh, completions, 872, passing yards, 12,104, touchdown passes, 132, completion percentage of over 75%. You don't and see this that is, fucking accuracy in the 1990s. And this is what is so, why he is so much better than everybody at that point, is his completion rate is so high throughout his whole career Except for later. In the pros. But um, yeah, even in college, named Kentucky's Mr. Football. But you're right, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. It, when I was looking up his completion, I was just like, God, if this guy went to a real offense in the pros, it would have just been like ridiculous. If he didn't go to some clown college fly-by-night operation near a shitty lake uh, near the Canadian border, maybe it would have turned out better for him. Hey, that's not the wallet inspector. <laughs> But so, he, ESPN actually ranked him sixth yeah. all time. I had read that um, of high school all around athletes in history. Yeah. So like we're dealing with like an athlete prodigy right here. Yes. And definitely. Uh, interestingly enough, though, he doesn't go to a big football school for college. Well, he goes to the University of Kentucky right at home. Yeah. And the University of Kentucky 
is basically the U of A of the SEC where you have an amazing basketball team and you clap if they win four games in a year. And the SEC is also, it has to be the hardest division then. I mean, it's such a... 100%. It's such a weird choice by him, but sometimes it's so correct because he can open it up. Well, interestingly enough, and we had talked about this in the Fanica episode um, not too long ago, the SEC at this time, really all you had as far as like non-ground and pound teams was Steve Spurrier running the fun and gun at the University of Florida. Okay. And what happens to Couch is almost a godsend because his freshman year, he's splitting time uh, with Billy Jack Haskins under Bill Curry, which is not like a super wide open offense. After a one and six start, they fire Bill Curry and bring in Hal Mummy. Now, Hal Mummy, for those of you who don't know, is like the inventor of the air raid offense. It's what tons of college football programs run now, but weren't running in the mid to late 90s. Like Mike Leach is like one of the most famous disciples of his who's coaching at, um, where's he at now? Mississippi State. Okay. But uh, Well, I saw the quote was, when he came in, he said, Couch is our number one quarterback, and we're going to throw the ball. Well, yeah, That's when pretty you're much completing what he said. 75% of your passes in high school. But yeah, Couch comes in, does a really good job. Yeah. Well, he, he structured this offense around him, which is what you need to do with your star players. Exactly. And in 1997, while they finished with a losing record, they beat number 20 Alabama. He goes 363 for 547 for over 3,800 yards, completing 66% of his passes and a two to one, basically 37 to 19 touchdown to interception ratio. So you can tell that this guy's the shit playing on a not so great team and winning games. He establishes himself as second team all SEC during that season as a sophomore. So you're like, man, this guy can play. Yeah. This guy, I can't wait to see what comes up. And in 98, does him even better. Well, that's that's the thing that I think that everybody can see is 97, he's on a shitty team and does well. 98, he has an unbelievable season on a, I wouldn't say shitty, but average team. A mediocre team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 98, he does a terrific job. They finish the regular season seven and four while they lose to Penn State in the uh, Outback Bowl. He just goes absolutely off. 400 completions uh, out of 553 attempts, 4,275 yards. And what I wanted to bring up about this stat, which is important, is this passing yards record stood, and it didn't include the bowl game. This stood until 2019 when Joe Burrow broke it. So over two decades later, he held that record for passing yards in the SEC, which I find absolutely incredible. Yeah. 72.3 completion percentage, 36 to 15 touchdown to interception ratio. He set an NCAA record for most completions uh, percentage, best completion percentage in a game with 83% against Vanderbilt, who might have been the only shittier program than Kentucky, but still that's amazing throwing against air. And like I said, the Burrow record, he had the most yards in a season for total yards until Tim Tebow broke it in his Heisman winning season. Yep. So he was obviously first team all SEC that year's player of the year that year in the conference, like Heisman finalist. Heisman finalist, yeah. He was definitely in that talk of like this guy is – Everybody's salivating over him. Yes. And what I find interesting 
is everybody's salivating over his potential in 1999 leading into the draft. This is a quarterback-heavy draft. This year in 2021, uh, I should say, five quarterbacks were picked in the first round. Yep. This is the first time that that had happened since 1999 when there were also five quarterbacks picked in the first round. Unfortunately for Tim, expansion happens because in 1996, um, people in Cleveland were butthurt that their owner moved them to Baltimore and decided, oh, we just need to get this stench off of us and we can start becoming a competent franchise. And by bitching and complaining and moaning, uh, they were awarded an NFL franchise again. Well, they were. They had the structure in place to be a, a NFL franchise, even though the structure was crumbling at that time. Uh, it was um, crumbling as bad as Municipal Stadium at that exactly. time. Exactly. So, <laughs> but they never should have moved out. I think no, that's what it was, everybody yeah, agrees. They're but, just like, oh, but it's to think the Browns were bad in '96 or whatever '95. Coming back in '99. But they had to have been that much worse. But that's the thing is they're not coming to another city as like a move, like how the Cardinals came from St. Louis or like the Oilers went to Tennessee. This is a brand Scratch. new expansion yeah. franchise for Cleveland to Electric Boogaloo. And like, you know how there are like sequels that are really good, like Godfather 2 or Rambo 2? This is one of the god-awful sequels. Yeah. And Cleveland... By virtue of being an expansion team, they hold the first pick in the 99 draft. They have their pick of the litter, whoever they want. They can choose to draft a position player to, you know, help bolster depth on your team made up of fringe roster guys and aging veterans. Or you can go with, we went for the mystery box, the fancy new prize under the Christmas tree in a franchise quarterback, and they pick Tim Couch first. Well, it's something that every franchise wants, but you need the pieces around him first. I was actually talking to Elias about this because David Carr is another good example of this drafted by the later expansion Houston Texans. If you're going to draft a quarterback number one, and you're an expansion franchise, you should legally be forced to sit them for at least a season until your team develops. Until, yeah, exactly. Because both of these guys roughly suffered similar fates. Mm -hmm. And the plan was in Cleveland, to their credit, we're going to sit this guy. We're going to, like, the air raid offense now transfers more to the NFL, but back in the day, didn't really do it despite all his physical... Like, if you put a prototype 1999 quarterback in a lab, a Tim Couch almost clone would spit out. I mean, he has the size, the mobility, the throwing arm. I the mean, accuracy. the intangibles, Woo. the accuracy. Yeah. If he was playing today, he'd be on a competent franchise. He'd be lighting it the fuck up, basically. And in Cleveland, that was the plan. It was like, okay, we're going to sit him. We're going to let the roster congeal. He's signed to a longer contract as a rookie. You know, we're not going to need to worry about it. Well, it's unfortunate for Cleveland because you're right. They had it in place for him to develop. Well, they, but what happens is they play in the first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game that year against the uh, Dallas Cowboys, and he goes out and he shows out. So people are starting to be like, okay, this guy could be the future. But it's yeah. like you're playing against backups. You know, you don't know what's going on. They have a veteran in Ty Detmer who's not like necessarily good, but it's like, okay, well, he's good enough to make this work. 
he's good enough to make our team com- competitive for enough yeah. for a year or even two. And then they get to the opening game, Sunday Night Football. I will never forget watching and laughing at all of this, which transpired not at Tim Couch, but just at what happened. They open up with Pittsburgh, who mm-hmm. is like their longtime rivals. And it's like, yay, football's back in Cleveland. Drew Carey's out before the game, complaining about people making fun of Cleveland. Hooray, your team is back. And then the game starts, and the Steelers, who only finished 6-10 and 10 that year, they were an absolute dumpster fire of mismanagement, spanked their asses 43 to nothing. If you've never watched this game, it's crazy. I mean, in in my opinion, it's awesome, but like it's like one team is playing a different sport and that team isn't any good. Well, what I heard about this Cleveland Browns team from this era was their defense was an NFL defense. Their offense wouldn't be a second string offense on an NFL team, they on should, another, on you know what I mean? Like they weren't, they should be like CFL players. They could basically play in Canada. Yes. Yeah. And what ends up happening during this game, Detmer is benched, and they put Couch in. I, and on his first pass, he throws a pick to Scott Shields. Yep. Like, harbinger of things to come. But week two, no more Detmer. Couch is the starter. And outside of a miracle win where he throws a Hail Mary in New Orleans and a bullshit game in Pittsburgh where they somehow end up winning. They end up two and 14. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting where teams have this plan, have this idea, this strategy. And as soon as something shits the bed, they immediately go against Which it. Which made no sense. It's like, just sign another veteran quarterback to ride the storm out and get him a paycheck. And that's Cleveland. And they, they, I feel like they have no long-term strategy. I should point this out, though. That year, and like I said, something of things to come for this poor man, he was sacked a league high 56 times. Yep. And it it's not like he put up bad stats. 223 for 399, almost 2,500 passing yards, 56% completion percentage, which at that time in the NFL was decent. And he had a 15 to 13 touchdown to interception ratio. Yeah. So it's not like... It's not him. It's not him. That's what's obvious. I feel like it's... I feel like when I look back at Tim Couch's career, it's that scene in Goodwill Hunting where I'm like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. He's like, I know. And then you just he keep just saying cries it. and he cries. And then he just sees clouds yep. in a freezing stadium and just, oh, he, he didn't deserve. And the Browns also screw this up. You probably didn't read about it. This is just my own opinion. In heading into the 2000 NFL draft, they own the first pick because you're 2-14. and 14. Yeah. You're the worst team. Cleveland... After seeing their quarterback sacked 56 blanking times, sits at the top, and A, you can trade back for more picks to bolster your offensive line and roster. Which is 100% what they should do. Which any team, they should have done it in 99. Mike Ditka, if you didn't know, it wasn't just the Redskins he offered all those picks to. 
It was also Cincinnati who took Akili Smith, who was a bust because of his own incompetence, but they also offered Philadelphia and Cleveland in front. Basically, they offered all the teams in front of them all their draft picks. Wow, I did not know and that. And they had interviewed Dwight Clark, who was then the GM of the Browns at the time, and he said, you know, looking back, we tried, but that was the one where we screwed it up the most. We should have just traded back, got another one of the five quarterbacks, and just had a mess of picks or built it a different way. Especially as as you're literally starting from scratch. How are you not going to take that? Yeah. Like, and th- I think, I don't remember the specific number, but it was close to a double digit amount of picks, including first two, and, yeah, yeah, first and third the following year. Yep. And which is what they want. But Cleveland elects Woo! to stay at number one in yep. 2000 and take epic draft bust Courtney Brown. Oh, yeah. Who was a defensive end. Two picks later, Washington, who had the Saints pick, they, what they managed to do, was draft Chris Samuels, who was a multiple pro bowler at offensive tackle and I think offensive guard. Yep. You don't think that helps your team? I mean, and helps your poor quarterback who's sitting out there taking a beating? Your young quarterback who you want to be your franchise. And you're literally like breaking down what anything that could be built. And you're looking at him, it's like, well, we want him to be the franchise, but we also don't want him to have CTE at age 40. Yeah, like no shit. I mean, well, that's what I mean. Like, how's he going to be the franchise when he's absolutely flat on his ass yeah, every game? Exactly. Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our sports experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. And in 2000, he, I mean, he's doing a pretty decent job. It's not like he's playing poorly. You know, 1,371 pat or uh, 137 for 215, almost 1,500 passing yards, 63.7 completion percentage. I mean, he's doing well, playing in nine games, and then breaks his thumb and yep. is out for the rest of the year. So, you know, misses the final nine games and year two of your savior's career, he's knocked out because they can't do it. Like the team around him can't do it. He's doing everything he can. And it's just not happening. And by 2001, because they're so shitty again, uh, Chris Palmer, their head coach, and Dwight Clark, the GM, are fired. Yep. And in waltzes Butch Davis uh, as the head coach. But something good that happens is Bruce Arians, who just recently won a Super Bowl as head coach of the Buccaneers, is the offensive coordinator. And he is a hell of a defender of Tim Couch, which I'll get to later. Couch fits what he wants to do on offense. What Arians has found the most success with up until Tom Brady are larger quarterbacks who can zip the ball down the field, stand in the pocket, and take hits, which on one hand is great, but it's also what got him fired as offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh when the front office were like, Ben Roethlisberger is taking too much of a beating. You're going to need to leave. And... While Couch has the best success under Arians, he's also feeling the effects of a shitty O-line and playing in this offense. And 2001, team goes, I believe, 7-9. and He finally passes for over 3,000 yards in a season, 60% completion percentage. Interception numbers are a little bit high, but you see some improvement under the new coaching staff. 
He's still taking a ton of sacks. His well, shoulder's getting beaten to shit. I was going to say, it sounds like what the Bruce Arians' offense needs is a better offensive line. It because, is, because they have playmakers at wide receiver yes, at this point. You have yes. Northcutt, Quincy Morgan, Kevin Johnson, Andre Davis was on this. T- I mean, like, you have pieces. You just don't have anything to protect your 30-plus million-dollar investment in the pocket. Yeah, exactly. And then 2002 is where this is kind of his best season as a professional football player. I mean, to his credit, through the first, like, 15 games of the season, the Browns are in playoff contention. Mm -hmm. They're playing a lot of close games. It's really exciting. He has another Hail Mary miracle that year against the Jaguars. He goes 273 for 443, almost 2,900 passing yards, over 60% completion percentage, 18 touchdowns. And heading into the last game of the season, they're eight and, or they're, uh, what was it? They are eight and seven. If they win and get an AFC East team to win that week in either the Jets or the Dolphins, both of which do, I believe. I know the Jets did because they went to the playoffs too. They get to go to the playoffs. Yeah. And they're playing the Atlanta Falcons. And in the first half, Couch breaks his leg after a hit. Which wouldn't – it ends the season because oh, yeah. even though they win with backup Kelly Holcomb, they go into the following week's game against Pittsburgh and into the playoffs. They're the final seed. They're the last team in. And in this game, it is the ultimate Cleveland meltdown. And Kelly Holcomb and not Tim Couch is lighting Pittsburgh up. I still maintain if Couch plays in this game, it's not even close. Cleveland runs away with a victory. And the entire playoff bracket that year is discombobulated, and we likely don't see the Raiders in the Super Bowl that year. Holcomb throws for over 400 yards in this game while Couch is sidelined. The Steelers erase a 17-point deficit in, I believe, the fourth quarter to win this game, come back and win 36-33. to But because of Holcomb's amazing game and Couch's inability to stay on the field, Heading into the next offseason, Davis thinks there's a quarterback competition going on. Okay. What ends up happening, despite the fact that Couch does a decent job in 2003, 10 games, 8 starts, 1,300 yards, 7-6 touchdown-to-interception ratio, they end up choosing Holcomb instead. Yeah, Because Couch is completely broken down. And in 2004, Holcomb is gone. And they sign, instead of drafting Ben Roethlisberger, they sign Jeff Garcia in free agency, whose career took a nosedive in Cleveland, but then resurfaces again in Philadelphia and fucking Tampa Bay and has taken him to the playoffs. Well, that's what we see in these bad franchises is they just don't know how to essentially work these players. But in this era, in this three-year window, Tim Couch was elite. You know he what I mean? Could he, have been exactly. And the argument I wanted, I was telling you beforehand. Okay, say in in this draft, Tim Couch and Donovan McNabb were drafted one and two. Donovan yeah. McNabb had a great career in the NFL, not Hall of Fame, but a great career. Say Cleveland takes Donovan McNabb, and Tim Couch gets to go to Philadelphia, where Andy Reid has just been hired. Yep, Andy Reid, Super Bowl winning coach. Great offense for a high-percentage thrower like Tim Couch. I'm not saying Tim Couch makes the Hall of Fame, but he's definitely making multiple Pro Bowls in Philadelphia. A different career. That's what is for sure. Like, And you can say that 
for, say, Tim Couch, you know, stabs someone leading up to the draft and he goes to Minnesota at 12 instead of Dante Culpepper. You don't think throwing to Randy Moss and having those weapons would have helped him? And just having a competent offensive line. That's what I saw with the Browns of this time was they kept focusing in on pieces that they didn't need. Yeah, like 2002, they take William Green, a running back. No, you need yep. linemen. 2001, they took Gerard Warren at the t- It's like, no, you take You need picks linemen. and you need, yeah. Yeah. Like, you need A, volume, but B, guys that'll protect him. And uh, 2003 was the last year Couch played. I know. I thought that was kind of ridiculous. But 2004, that's... he had a shitty preseason with the Packers. Um issue with an injury settlement because he had a rotator cuff surgery on his shoulder well this is what i saw was he had a rotator cuff injury he had to have surgery on it when he came back they said he never had the strength of an nfl player which is terrible yep 2005 he tried out with the bears and Bengals. 2006 um he tried out with the dolphins titans steelers and i remember when the steelers actually brought him in yeah because that was the year that um roethlisberger crashed his motorcycle oh okay they had to play charlie batch but they didn't end up signing him um in july of 2007 he contacted all 32 nfl teams and uh he ended up signing with the jaguars about a week later but he only had one preseason game and uh, within a couple of weeks, he was released. He was yeah. trying to be the team's third-string quarterback. Yeah. Which, oh, my God, that has to just be it, – it was a career ruined through no fault of his own. No. And that's what makes it dis- disturbing is played in 62 games with 59 starts, uh, had over 1,000 completions uh, for 11 11- – 11,000 yards, 60% completion percentage through all this mess. I was going to say, with just no protection. Yeah. Like, to think about that, he's just constantly being swarmed, and he's still just completing a, a amazing amount. So that's my thing. When I was looking at his stats, all of his stats, it's just like, yeah, none of this is his fault. If he just went to any other team at this point, any other they, non-expand? I don't mean to pick on Cleveland. Yeah, well, I mean it's easy to. I mean it's an easy target, but like if he had gone to the Texans, the, say in two thousand two, you know, it would have been the same thing. But you're right. If he went to Philly, you know, or if he went to goes to go, you th- you don't think Andy Reid knows how to develop a that's, quarterback it's, too? It's ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, but that's what's so sad about it is it was all potential, and they kind of just ground him into the ground. And I look more at his touchdown-to-interception ratio and his quarterback rating. His quarterback rating was 75.1, which is good. I mean, it's not like great or anything, but he had 64 touchdowns to 67 interceptions. It's not like this guy was any type of scrub or like did shit off the field or didn't try. It just never panned out because... Wasn't wasn't in the right system. Yeah. Well, you think about... Less athletic quarterbacks, less polished quarterbacks doing better because they... Time to develop. Time to develop, and and they can understand what they are able to do. I felt like he was needing to press the issue a lot of the time and still almost had an equal, equal, equal touchdown interception ratio. It's such an insane thing to think that he played so well on such a bad offense. The guy had all the tools. His body just gave up on him. Like, 
and the fans gave up on him too. That 2002 that was the other year thing. where yeah. he went to the uh, where he took him to the playoffs, they booed him at home and then cheered when he was injured playing the Ravens. It's yeah, I fucking hate fans like that. Oh I will my god, never... it was disgusting. Yeah, but uh, Bruce Arians, who I brought up before, had oh, this yeah. great quote about it. and. Mind you, let me just tell you the quarterbacks that Bruce Arians has been the quarterbacks coach for, offensive coach, and head coach for. Peyton Manning, Hall of Famer. Best regular season quarterback that's ever played the game. Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Famer. Andrew Luck, should have been a Hall of Famer, but kind of suffered the same fate as Tim Couch. Carson Palmer, multiple pro bowler. Oh, and some guy named Tom Brady. Yeah. Timmy B.? Yeah, Tommy B. This is what he had to say uh, for Tim Couch when he was asked about him. This is probably about seven, eight years ago. Tim Couch, hell of a player. Tim was no bust. It kills me when people call him a bust. His arm was just so torn up he couldn't play anymore. He would have been a real good one. I think that pretty much sums up his entire career as a player. If anybody would have known who was going to be a good quarterback, you know what I mean? Like, he would know. So it's such a it's, – it's sad. To me, it's one of the NFL's biggest what-ifs. Say he comes out in 1998 with Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf, and he's drafted in the late – yeah, or like towards the end of the 10s. Yeah, I was going like nine nine to say 9 to 12. Yeah, go somewhere, given time to sit. Patrick Mahomes didn't play his first game until week 17 of his rookie season. Carson Palmer – wasn't hurt, but he rode the bench his whole first year in Cincinnati. Like, it's this thing of of short money. They had this plan, they had this idea, and it really they as soon as first came and it's your fucking boys going out there killing them. They got scared and just plugged him in. Well, I think part of it was especially after that embarrassing loss because if you watch that game, it is embarrassing one team against the other especially bringing back football yeah Yeah. is that you have psls to sell this is an economic decision who's going to watch this team that went out and laid an egg in front of 60 70 000 people yep put the kid in and it's like no that is the last thing you need to do i mean obviously you know it didn't benefit them or couch in the long run but uh since his career's ended um host of SEC Gridiron Live. He's doing a lot of media stuff kind of around college uh, football in the SEC. So it's uh, not to say like a guy who made that much money, like, you know, he's lived a bad life. But yeah, to to have to go through that, trying to live your dream and have unfulfilled, unfulfilled, but no help in the way of anything yeah, he definitely had a good life. You were talking about he has a... Uh... Playboy, uh, Playman of the Year wife, too. Woo, man. Good story about that I wanted to bring up. So one of those five quarterbacks that was drafted, huge bust, Cade McNown from UCLA. You remember that guy? Yeah. Lefty? Yeah. Thinking he's the next Steve Young? Oh, yeah. That didn't happen. Cade McNown not only had uh, some issues with fake handicap spots, using fake handicap yeah. parking spots at UCLA, and they busted his ass on it. Cade McNown was not allowed back to the Playboy Mansion after trying to hit on Tim Couch's future wife, who was uh, 99's Playmate of the Year, Heather Kozar. <laughs> he was sending her, like, flowers and shit, like, and just acting a fool at the Playboy Mansion. Tommy Lee is not banned at the Playboy Mansion. I was Mansion. just going to say, like, you have to be 
a pretty huge creep if you're going to get banned at the Playboy Mansion. So what have we learned here? A, Cade McNown is a creep, but B, Tim Couch is a hell of a football player who never got his fair shake or due. Definitely. So, absolutely. Hey, everybody. This is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. Just want to say give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel. The Sports Experience Podcast, and we're on Instagram, Detolo Dominic, and myself, C. Quinn Comedy. So give us a follow all around. Um, we're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much. <laughs>